Yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Acts has been subtitled the Acts of the Apostles. I think probably a more accurate subtitle would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles or the early church. We're going to see in our study of the book of Acts the significance again of the Holy Spirit and we're going to come into contact with that again tonight. I'm really excited about this series. I think it's going to be good for us both individually and as a church to be challenged with the message of the book of Acts. I I want us to get a little bit of Luke's each week, where Luke was coming from, why he was writing the things that he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And for those of you that did not know maybe this, the book of Acts is written by Dr. Luke, who obviously also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Acts is really a, a, the second part, if you will, of his Gospel of Luke. It's a continuation of what he had shared with us in his Gospel. And tonight, just because it fell out that way for me, for those of you that like to take notes and keep a little bit of an outline or whatever... I do have an alliterated outline tonight, sorry, you know. Uh, And we want to start with this. In the first couple of verses of chapter 1, we see a connection or a continuity. Whatever C word you want to use there, uh, that's what Luke is trying to get across in the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 1. He wants to make the connection back to what Jesus began to do while he was here on earth. And he wants to make a connection back to his own gospel. So notice here in the first couple of verses, he says, I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. A couple things. First of all, he's writing this entire book to one man. One man. Whose name was Theophilus. And I love his name because it means lover of God. Made up of two Greek words. Theos, God. Phileo, love. Uh, One of the Greek words for love. Lover of God. Theophilus. And what I want to point out is this. Notice the investment that Luke made in one person. That originally this book was meant to be read by just one individual whose name was Theophilus. I I say that and I want to stop and emphasize that because many times, especially in our society, individuals get lost. And, and God is all about, obviously, we're going to see great crowds and reaching great crowds of people, but it's never at the expense of losing the individual and ministering to people on a one-on-one level. And I say that and start this book out because I am convinced that everyone here tonight, there's someone One, maybe just one person right now that God is bringing to mind, that He has been laying on your heart, that that He's been asking you to pray for, 
that, that he's been asking you to, to be sensitive to and attentive to. And, and maybe God right now, instead of li- thinking like, oh, you know, I'm not doing something big for God because I'm not... Imp-. We need to, as Christians today, get rid of that and, and we need to be willing to maybe just reach that one and impact that one. And, and we never know then in time the things that we say, the seeds that we plant, the things that we do in that person's life and our investment in them, how the, the lives that they might touch, it just begins to multiply exponentially. And so I want us to be encouraged tonight, don't miss the individuals in your life, the, the single people right in front of you that God may want you to touch their life in some way, and to ask God, God, would that would, would that be? Obviously, for Luke, he he wrote two great books to this Theophilus: the the Gospel of Luke and now the Book of Acts. And he wanted to inform and give this lover of God a greater understanding about the life and ministry of Jesus, but also the fact that the ministry and mission of Jesus didn't end when he went back to heaven. That the mission of Jesus didn't end with his work on the cross and his resurrection. Now certainly, as far as salvation goes and what needed to take place so that mankind could be saved, that was finished. Jesus said that on the cross. But I'm talking about the mission to seek and to save those who are lost and to get the message in the gospel of Jesus Christ out. That was going to continue. And that's what Luke wanted to emphasize to Theophilus. That the mission of Christ continues. And it's going to continue through His people. And it continues even today. And there's a continuity between what God started and what God has continued to do down through the ages. There's always been a continuity. There's always been a connection to the past with everything that God has done and is doing. God doesn't want us to live in the past, but God certainly wants us to understand the continuity and connection to the things of the past. Even the church, He says, is established on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, and what they taught. And so our, our present standing, if you will, and foundation always goes back to the things that God has done before and the things that have come before. And that's what Luke wanted to emphasize to Theophilus right off the bat. Jesus began to do and teach certain things. And he began to invest himself in this group of disciples. But he's saying to Theophilus, Theophilus, just because Jesus went back to heaven and was exalted doesn't mean the mission is over. The mission of Christ continues. And that was his emphasis right there at the beginning of this book. You'll notice again too in verse 2. He talks about the fact that Jesus was giving orders to his followers by the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit plays a huge part in what's taking place here in this book. Because God wants to show them what if they allow the Holy Spirit of God to sort of dominate their life like we talked about even Sunday. The difference that he can make both individually in our lives and corporately. And the impact and influence that we can have around us if we just allow the Holy Spirit to do his thing and not to grieve or quench him. 
And we see that Jesus was even giving them a living example of that to his own followers while he was here on earth. Because throughout the Gospels, even though he was God, he laid aside the independent use of his attributes of God while he was here on earth in the form of a human. And he was, a, and he was being led by the Holy Spirit. Again, to lay that example down. And, and we see that even here again with Luke when he says, when he had given orders by the Holy Spirit. So the first point I want to make in this first chapter that deals with the mission of Christ continuing, and that's what the first chapter is all about, is that Luke wants to make this connection or continuity back to the ministry of Jesus and the fact that it's just continuing. What Jesus started is continuing now in the events that he's going to lay out here in this book. The second thing I want you to notice is a confirmation. Beginning in verse 3, to the same apostles also, after his suffering, suffering, he presented himself alive. He provided proof with many convincing proofs. These words in the Greek literally mean to be sure. Jesus said and showed, here I am. Even to Thomas, touch me. If you don't think I've risen from the dead, you know, feel my, put, put your finger in the nail prints. Put, place your, you know, your fingers in my side where the spear went through. Touch me. He said that this flesh and bone have these things. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a hallucination. And Jesus did this as a confirmation to his followers because he wanted them to be sure. Because in order for them to be witnesses, in order for them to carry the mission of Christ and continue this mission, they needed to be sure about what they were going to share, what they were going to talk about and all that. And, and the, there's nothing different today. God wants to build us up and grow us so that we will be sure and have strong convictions about things so that we can influence others. Others will not be influenced by those that really aren't sure about what they believe and why they believe it. It is so important for us to, to be sure and to nail down certain things so that we can passionately talk about them and share them and, and influence other people's lives. And also notice here again, something I've shared before, is that when God calls us to faith in Him, it is not, never, blind faith. Jesus just didn't rise from the dead, disappear off the face of the earth, and somehow relay down, you just got to believe that I, I, I rose from the dead. You just got to take my word for it. No. God didn't do that. God said, I'll show you I rose from the dead. I'll give you proof. Forty days after he rose from the dead. In fact, notice Peter or Luke goes on to say in verse 3, he was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. I think his resurrection appearances are actually part of the gospel. That the gospel is not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It also includes his post-resurrection appearances. That's part of the good news. He showed himself alive. He provided proof 
to his followers so that they would be sure God is always about confirming things in our lives assuring us and reassuring us over and over again we talked about this Sunday in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives where Paul said to the Romans the Holy Spirit will continue to reassure us and give us evidence over and over again that we are the sons and daughters of God that's part of his ministry reassurance confirmation God will continually do that in our lives Why? Because He wants the mission of Christ to continue. And the only way the mission of Christ continues, that mission where Jesus even said to His followers, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. And to be a light. And and all of that. The only way that continues is when His followers see a connection and a continuity back to the past. And also where His followers are sure about what they really believe and why they believe it. Notice then in verse 4, a commission. Notice he says, while he was with them, he declared, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my father promised, which you heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had gathered together, they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He told them, you are not permitted to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. Now, in this commission, I want you to see a couple things. First of all, Jesus, as part of this commission to his followers, says, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. And why he's emphasizing that right up front in his commission is because that's exactly humanly what the disciples and the apostles wanted to do was to get out of Jerusalem. Why? Well, that was the scene where all this horror happened. That's where, that's where Jesus was crucified. That's where they were embarrassed. Because remember, they didn't hang around. They denied Him. They fled. They fleed. Jerusalem has a lot of bad memories for them. They want a new start. They want to start all over. But Jesus wants to emphasize to them that if the gospel is going to take hold, it's going to take hold right in the place, first of all, where all that did happen. So don't leave. You want to leave. Don't leave. And then he says this. Wait. Because guess what? We don't like to wait on God. And yet many times in our life, what we find ourselves doing is waiting for the fulfillment of the promises of God in our life. Just like the disciples did here. Wait for the promise from my Father that you heard from me. Remain, the word means. Abide. Just hold on there and don't go anywhere and sit and wait. I mean, you know, I'm dealing with that right now, obviously, as your pastor, as far as, you know, God anticipating that God is leading us to some place that we can call our own and that we don't have to meet here at a school campus as nice as this has been for four and a half years. 
But God keeps saying, wait, not quite time yet to reveal what that place is. Okay, God, all right, I'll wait. And then somebody brings up a piece of property and I get all excited about it. At least I'll tell you, I start dancing around the hat. No, I'm... But anyway, I get, and it's like, oh, maybe that's it or whatever. And then like something, no, that's not it. Okay, wait, wait. I know we don't like to wait, but God wants us to learn to wait on Him to fulfill the things that He wants to bring about in our lives. Timing is everything with God. And God is never in a hurry. God always has His purposes for His timing. And we see that in our own commission, if you will, as well. So then He goes on to say, then they go on to say, well, Lord... What about the physical restoration of the kingdom of Israel? Is it time for that now? And there's a lot we could say about that, but I want to note this tonight. Notice that Jesus doesn't want them to be concerned about the things that God doesn't want them to know. And it's again a great reminder for us, don't focus on the things that you don't know. Focus on the things that you do know. And the thing that Jesus wanted them to know was that they will, when they, they just wait and stay in Jerusalem, they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they will be witnesses. That's what Jesus wanted them to focus on. He didn't want them to get caught up in when the kingdom was going to come and all that was going to be restored. That wasn't the focus. The focus right now was continuing the mission of Jesus. Seeking and saving those who are lost. That's what he wanted them to focus on. So he says, God, it's not part of God's plan for you to know those times. Don't focus on what you don't know. Focus on this. Receiving power. The word receive means to claim and to carry In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you as my followers to claim and carry my ability, my strength, and my power with you always. That's part of the commission. And that same commission is true for us today as his followers. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, God wants us to claim and then carry with us at all times his strength, his ability, and his power with us. That's what God wants us to do. And this will happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And why does God give us this power? So that we will be effective witnesses. The word witness means one who testifies to others what they know. It's pretty simple. One who testifies to others what they know. That's why, can I say, any Christian can be a witness. Because you and I are just responsible to share with others at that point what we know. Now, obviously, God doesn't want our knowledge to stay at that level. God wants us to grow so that we know more, so that we can share more and testify more and be a witness of more. But at any time, we can be witnesses. And as Christians, we too often hesitate to be the witnesses God commissions us to be simply because we excuse ourselves by saying, I don't know enough yet. I don't have enough training. I don't have enough experience. And the message of the Bible is simply testify not to what you don't know, 
God never asks us to be witnesses of what we don't know. But what God does ask of us is to testify what we know. And even if you go back to the early days and see the witness of those who were even first saved, what did the blind man testify to others? He didn't have any training, any experience, any knowledge at all. All he said in his testimony and witness to Jesus was to the people around him, once I was blind, now I see, that's the guy that made me see. And that was an effective witness. That's all he knew. I was blind. Now I can see. And that guy named Jesus is the one who made me see. That's all God asks. And that's what God gives us His power. His supernatural ability, strength, and power to be is witnesses, to testify to others about what we know of God and our experience with God in our own lives. And then he says, I wanted to start in Jerusalem, verse 8, but I wanted to continue in Judea and Samaria, and I wanted to even go to the farthest parts of the earth. Is there someone God wants you to be a witness to? And again, certainly this can speak about those who don't have a relationship with God. But let's not forget, we can be a witness to even other Christians about what we know of God. God talks to us about sharing with other Christians and encouraging them about the things that we have went through with God and the experiences we have had and the things that we know of God that we can share with others to encourage and support them. So being a witness, don't limit it just to sort of a, a salvation uh, message to someone that doesn't know Christ. That's a very narrow uh, definition of a witness. A witness is just someone who testifies to someone else about what they know of God and about God. And God promises, if you're willing to be my witness, my strength, my ability, my power will be with you through the Holy Spirit that you have living within you. You will never have to be a witness on your own. I will be there with you as God, the Holy Spirit. So we see a connection or continuity in the first couple of verses. Then in verses 3 and 4, we see a confirmation. Then in, or in verses 4 through 8, we see a commission. And then I want you to see verses 9, 10, and 11, where we see a consideration. After he had said these, while they were watching, he was lifted up, literally raised or exalted up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were still staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come back at the, in the same way you saw him go into heaven. The consideration is the return of Christ. God wants His followers to always live their lives considering that Jesus is coming back. We are always to live in the light of the Lord's return. Jesus even said this to His followers over and over again. Many of the parables and teachings that Jesus gave to His followers all centered around that fact. About, you know, somebody's going to go away. The Master. 
But he's coming back. And he's going to see, you know, how did, how did you manage the things that he gave into your hands and entrusted to you while he was gone? There's always that aspect of Jesus. Teaching and reminding them of that. He always wanted his followers to consider his return as they went out and were witnesses of him. That he's coming back one day. And, and that is something that he always wants us to keep in the forefront of our minds to motivate us, to encourage us, to whatever. I'm coming back. And that was the message here from these angels, I believe, to those that were staring up into the sky like, look, don't get caught up with him leaving. Get busy doing the mission that he's commissioned you to do. And remember, he's coming back. And then I want you to see here tonight, and we're going to talk so much about this in the book of Acts. This is why we are the church we are, the Oasis. This is why we do the things that we do. This is why we encourage those who want to be a part of our church to embrace what the Bible teaches about the local church. Because what you see here with these early followers of Christ is a community or another word, a C word I, I, you could use here is a collaboration. They're not to be out there on their own. They are to be part of a bigger unit, a, a team, working alongside of others. Notice, back in verse 6, so when they had gathered together, then if you go up to verse 12, when they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, when they had entered Jerusalem, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, were there. All these continued together. The word continued together is an important word here. It means to be adhered to one another, to be devoted to one another, to be constant with one another. That's what God wants to see in His people as they carry out the mission that Jesus started. That they be willing to be part of a community a collaboration, willing to come together and link arms with other believers and do this together and work together side by side. And notice, as they do this, they were going to be praying together and they were going to do this with one passion as well. The Bible says with one mind. The word in the Greek literally means to rush along in unison with one another is what it means. In a sense, there's almost a sense of urgency in that original Greek word when it says to rush along in unison. Let's go. We've got, we've got a mission to do. We've got, we've got things to do. And let's go together and get it done. That's what Jesus wants to see with His people. Notice it goes on to say in verse 14, all these continued together in prayer with one mind, together with the women, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were together, a community. Again, we're going to talk so much about this aspect 
as we go and travel through the book of Acts. It's huge. God doesn't want us to do life alone. He wants us to be part of a community of believers. And I love the fact, and again, we can always do more and always do better, but I love the love that we have for one another at this church. I love the fact that we know one another, that we care about each other, that we're willing to come alongside and be part of of each other's lives to do this together. That's what the early church had that many churches today are missing. They're cold. They're impersonal. Nobody knows whether you're there or not. Nobody even cares if you're there or not. Nobody's connected with nobody. And especially the pastor. Not at this church. God wants us to be connected to one another. And then notice a challenge from Peter, beginning in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. By the way, that word means those born from the same womb, spiritual womb. A gathering of about 120 people, which is a little more than what we have in here tonight, but a little less than what we have on Sunday. And again, it reminds us, it's not the amount of people. God can use 120 people to impact a whole lot of people if those people are committed to Him and committed to one another. May that encourage you as well. And He says, brothers... The Scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit foretold through David concerning Judas. And I'm not going to take the time tonight, but he goes down through and basically shares what they all had known about what happened to Judas after he betrayed Jesus. And he says in verse 19, This became known to all who lived in Jerusalem, so that in their own language they called the field a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his house become desolate or deserted, speaking of the house of Judas, and let there be no one to live in it, but let another take his position of responsibility. Peter is issuing a challenge. He's saying, hey guys, scripturally speaking, everything that we know that even the Lord Jesus taught us, somebody else needs to step up and step in and take Judas's place. In fact, that's what the word take here means in verse 20, to step up and step in. In a sense, Peter's laying out a challenge to the early followers of Jesus and saying, just because Judas betrayed our our Lord, and just because he fell, doesn't mean the devil should ultimately win the day. Somebody else within our community needs to step up and take his place. Because remember, they had remembered what Jesus said, that there would be 12 of them who would be part of those who judged in the, in the kingdom. And they needed to have that 12th person then on that throne in the kingdom in order to be part of that divine administration. And with Judas now gone, somebody else needed to take his place. And Peter lays out the challenge. Who would it be? Maybe there's a position right now or some 
level of responsibility or something God wants you to step up and step into. Finally tonight, I want you to see a criteria. That's the final C word of chapter 1. Because as they looked to replace Judas, I want you to see the criteria that they used to make the decision. And in a sense, it's the same criteria, almost the same, as what God would want to see in us as a community of believers today in making decisions, except for the casting of lots. First thing, notice that the one criteria that Peter even has already started out with is the Scriptures. He points people back to the Scriptures and says, this is what the Scriptures say. This is how the Scriptures say this should be handled and why we should be doing this. So that's the first criteria. It always should be based on the Word of God. Secondly, though, notice more practically in verse 21 and 22. Thus one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time, the Lord Jesus associated with us, beginning from His baptism by John until the day He was taken up from us? We need to pick somebody from that group. That says a lot. Because what that says is they were learning to promote, if you will, from within. And it was somebody who had been with them for at least three years. Because he says, they have to be somebody that was with us from the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way through, was with us all the way and stuck it out with us. That's who we need to look for. Somebody within that group. That's one of the principles of leadership that I have tried, although I haven't done a very good job, but I have tried to instill in all of our leaders here. Not only with me, but with Nicole, with Crystal, with Pastor Chad, with our elders, how they look at things, with our ministry leaders, that guys, we don't need to look outside of ourselves. That if God wants something to happen or whatever, God will bring the people to us, and as they walk with us, and they grow with us, and we learn of them, and they learn of us, and God begins to knit our hearts together, God will want us to begin to promote from within. That's why you will see in all of our ministries that our ministry leaders and those who are in charge of ministries, if they need, you know, right-hand people and people to to mentor and people to be around them to, to all that, it's people who are right there with them and who have walked with them. Just like Peter is laying out here. That's the way to do it. Never have to look outside yourself. You look from within and you promote from within, and you look for those who've been with you and stuck it out with you, and you know what they're like because you've had some experience there with one another. And they've proven themselves and had the opportunity to prove themselves over time. That's what you see here in the book of Acts. That was another criteria. And then finally... Notice in verse 22, one of these must become a witness also of His resurrection together with us. So they proposed two candidates. Joseph called Barsabbas, also called Justice. And they had a lot of names back then. 
and Matthias. And here's the final criteria. Then they prayed. And they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. You show us which one of these two you have chosen. And the final criteria is their reliance and dependence on God. Now, yes, because the Holy Spirit hadn't come and because he wasn't indwelling them, many people like, oh, the whole lot thing, just, you know, throwing lots out there. That seems really weird. Yeah, remember something. The book of Acts is a transition book. It is transitioning us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And even though technically Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four Gospels and Acts are in our what we call New Testament, from a technical perspective, the New Testament starts with Romans and goes through Revelation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts are transitional books that are actually transitioning us from the Old Testament economy to the New Testament economy. Nothing has quite settled out yet, you see. Even in the book of Acts. And that's one of the things that we will see and discover as we go through our study of this book. So they had a criteria of who and what they were looking for in someone to replace Judas. Many Christians over the years have sort of criticize their choice of Matthias. Because nothing is ever heard about this man ever again after they choose him to be one of the twelve and take Judas's place. Many Christians say, oh, they should have picked Paul. In fact, just by seeing the life and ministry of Paul, it sort of shows that Paul should have been their choice. Not based on the criteria that they had. Paul wasn't part of their group the whole time that they were. He was an outsider. He had a special calling and commission of God to do what he did. But I don't think in any way he was supposed to be one of these. I don't don't think it should have been Paul. And I personally don't have a problem that it was Matthias. And I personally don't have a problem that we hear nothing about him. Many believers who have lived their lives for the Lord... And one day will be rewarded greatly in heaven are people that you and I have never heard about. See, we live in this society today, and especially in America, where everything's got to make the big splash. And where if, if something isn't out there in lights and flashing and everybody knows about it because we live in the whole social media where everybody's got to know about everything. And so we begin to feel very unimportant and inferior when you're just being faithful to the Lord but in seeming obscurity. Can I encourage you? If you're doing what God wants you to do, don't worry about it. Don't worry about how many people know you or don't know you. That's not the issue. God's going to settle it all out when we get to glory. All God cares about is, were we faithful to His calling in our lives? And so to bring this full circle tonight, I want to end with this. If you're here tonight and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has commissioned you. 
He's called you to be a certain someone and to do a certain something right now. And He always is asking us to be witnesses. Always. To be willing by the power of the Holy Spirit to testify to others what we know of God. And I just want to encourage us tonight that as we think about the message of Acts chapter 1, as we begin this great study of this great book, and we're reminded that the mission that Christ started while He was here on earth has continued now for 2,000 years. It has been passed down faithfully from one generation of Christians to another, and it has finally come to us in this generation. And we need to be faithful to our commission and to our calling so that we can pass it down to the next generation who's coming after us. The young people over with Pastor Chad tonight, the children who are with Crystal, and those we've yet to reach. And to do that, God wants to encourage us. He wants to confirm things so that we'll be sure and confident And He wants us to realize that He's given us His very Holy Spirit to live inside of us. To give us all the power, all the strength, all the ability, all the resources we need to carry out whatever calling He's placed on our lives, whatever commission He's given us. The one thing from Acts chapter 1 that is reinforced and sure, whatever God calls us to, He will equip us to do. He never asks us to do anything for Him that He does not enable us to do through His Holy Spirit. That's the message of Acts chapter 1. Will we take up that responsibility? Will we step up and step into whatever responsibility God is laying upon us and say, God, I'm willing to do what You're asking me to do. And I'll do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, I thank You that Luke was prompted by Your Spirit to write this great book to one man, a lover of God, Theophilus. And yet, Lord, Luke probably had no concept, no idea that not only would Theophilus benefit from this letter, but millions down through history would benefit from the message of this letter. God, it reminds us that You don't ask us to focus on how this is all going to fall out and how many people we're going to influence and impact. It might just be one person right now that you've laid on our hearts to minister to, to pay attention to, to pray for, to seek out, to testify to them what we know of God. But God, that one person, that one person is worth it. Just like we're worth it in your eyes. And so I pray God, help us to not look past the individuals right around us, 
the individuals that you bring into our lives, whether they're our brothers and sisters in Christ or whether they're someone that doesn't even know you. God, help us to be a witness, a faithful witness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, this week we talked about the mission of Christ continuing. Next week in Acts chapter 2, we're going to talk about the messengers of Christ being consecrated. And we're going to look at this great Acts chapter 2 next week. Hope you'll come back. Have a great week. We'll see you later.